0: Uh, Welcome back to the Cyber People podcast. This is episode one, series two, and we are delighted to welcome one of Australia's premier experts (laughs) on the subject of zero trust, Mr. Andrew Abel. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thanks, Will. we're, We're privileged to have you here. So, Andrew, tell us, who are you?
1: uh yeah yeah that's a, <laughs> that's an interesting question uh i'm just your know, average run-of-the-mill garden variety uh cyber security strategy architect um yeah long long history in it in uh in general and cyber security in the last few years so yeah you know wasn't uh wasn't always in security or it when i left school did a few other things did some real jobs some uh outdoor jobs that that required a bit of manual labor and some Saturday work and realized I didn't like working on Saturdays. So I went and studied IT and computers and and the rest is history, one step after the other and been in IT for a long time now. And uh, like I said, recently in the last few years, been in cybersecurity and the last couple of years within cybersecurity, being in zero trust space.
0: And what was your trajectory, Andrew? How did you end up? in security? I mean, if you're anything like me, you just fell into it. But I realized there are people out there that know exactly what they want to do, and they just go after uh, it. How did you end up?
1: Yeah, nothing. yeah. No, it was it was sort of like the way I like to do most things. I saw an opportunity and, and thought I'd take it and see where it led me. So I was, in, I was actually doing strategic uh, roadmaps for the end user compute team in Origin, and I uh, worked closely with a guy who was the leader of the security architecture function in Origin. They were looking to build out a team, put an internal role up. And uh, because we had such a good relationship, he encouraged me to apply. So I applied and, uh, and, and got the job and uh, moved over to the security team. And we had a lot of laughs. And uh, yeah, it's, been, it's been great since then. He's, he's since moved on, but it's still uh, it's, it's a great place to work and great great spot to be in.
0: So you didn't find security, security found you by
1: the sounds of it. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a bit, uh, sort of for me, it's weird because I didn't come through the security, the ops and the the sort of, you know, the, the operations and the incident response and the real-time sort of hacking kind of background. So I always thought securely and I always had security um, aspects and thinking into the designs that I did, but it wasn't, you know, like I said, because I didn't come from that background, it was sort of an easy transition to just go, well, you know, I'll just formalise how I already think securely and go into that particular area. And yeah,
0: that that that's so. that's, that's interesting. That's very interesting. The the concept of uh, thinking securely and how that led you into this career. Can you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by thinking securely? Uh, well, think yeah, secure? oh, I think, think that it's funny. funny. <laughs> Sorry, you mean like a healthy level of paranoia?
1: Well, yeah, I always had the cynicism, but I like to think of myself as a cynical optimist, so yeah. I assume the worst, but I always hope it's going to get better so uh, that's how I tend to operate with a bit of pragmatism thrown in on top, so there's a there's a weird mix for you to get through the day but, uh, yeah, so I think that you know years ago there used to be like the the business people in one corner of the room at the Christmas party and the i t people at a different in a different corner, and then even apart from them with the security people, and nobody really knew what the other one did or really wanted to know they just sort of got along you know uh, and, and worked it out as they went but then I think that there became less and less distinction between IT and business and you know com- computing investment and all sorts of how the, the technical technical landscape was built and run became ingrained in the business and you couldn't be in IT without understanding the business and now I think the natural evolution for that is all the IT and security has merged into business. So there is no security over there and business over the other side. It's all, you know, like if you want security investment, what, what are the business benefits? And it's not just about risk and hacking and ransomware. It's also about um, competitive advantage and, um, you know, productivity boosts, less incidents, less downtime, all the hidden things that you don't immediately think of, you know. So, so that's what I mean by thinking securely because it's no good... Um, you know, it's no good trying to design solutions or write roadmaps that have some sort of gap in the operational uh, space. So, you know, when when someone comes along to operate afterwards, you have incidents or you have risk or you have any sort of problems that come up down the line.
0: Absolutely. One of the things that I I really love about what you were saying is that you kind of um, you know, you, you were in the right place at the right time and and, and things kind yeah. of transpired for you to find your way into security. But you, you discovered that you kind of always had that mindset anyway. And uh, one of the yeah. things that uh, I find so fascinating about the Australian cybersecurity market is that so many people uh, came to cybersecurity from so many different avenues. You know, there are people who yeah. kind of always knew that's what they wanted to do. But then there are people who've sort of come from all different sort of backgrounds. Um, I've met yeah. musicians, I've met <laughs> um, armed services people, I've met all sorts of different people. I mean, that's the most incredible thing about the cybersecurity market in Australia, that there are so many avenues into it. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and it is, it is a, a, an industry that, that really has an enormous demand, and I think the demand far outstrips supply. Um, yeah. You know different different uh courses for different horses as they say um and yeah of, i think yeah. yeah no after you please oh no i was just gonna say that's a
1: it's a great point that you raised and really made me think about like the musician for example i think that that's a, a common misconception for people who aren't in security or aren't even in IT or just starting in IT. They think, oh, you know, I could never get into that area, especially security, because I don't have a long history of, you know, configuring firewalls and doing all this other stuff. But, like, your point's a brilliant one around the musician, because there is room for creativity and, and all sorts of different um, contexts in, in cybersecurity. So people can bring all different experiences and perspective to cybersecurity and still deliver really good results, so...
0: Absolutely. And you're an architect and I always think of architects as being kind of like uh, composers. They sort of create. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. That's it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're a, you're a specialist in, in zero trust. Um, now, yep. how would you explain? So I had a, an interesting um, uh, conversation the other day, a, a candidate who had interviewed with a client of mine said that at a certain point in the interview, the client said to them, how would you explain data governance to your grandmother? Um, How would you explain zero trust to your grandmother, Andrew?
1: Uh, Well, I suppose, you know, I would say it's it's just, in my grandmother context, it would be uh, making sure you are 100% comfortable and confident that who you think you're talking to is actually who you're talking to, and that you know exactly where the silver, silverware is, and you know that they can't get to the silverware and, and they're not carrying a duffel bag that they can carry the silverware out with if they leave when you're in the loo.
0: Very eloquently put there, Andrew.
1: <laughs>
0: Very well-fielded. Well-played, sir. Well-played. That's it. So so what is Zero Trust exactly? And feel free to, you know, go down the uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I think that that's one of the things that I sort of talk about at various places is... I love it because it's simple and it's beautiful and it's easy and it's nuanced and it can be, it's a bit like TOGAF and other stuff. It's just a framework and a bunch of good ideas and a blueprint for making smarter choices. That's what I think of it as. Um, So sometimes people, you know, go into interviews or client sites or into meetings and they sort of overblow it as this uber techno jibber-jabber, you know. But it's all about a way to understand how you should make better security choices with simply understanding what's important to you, um, how you go about protecting it. Um, And there's a lot of psychology and culture in there as well, you know, like how does our company operate? How do we view security? Have we got a bunch of really high-end security um, technical people have we you know is our business not really geared towards cyber security awareness because of the way the way that we work and the, and the sector we're in you know so there's this, uh, to me it's just like I said it's a way to make smart choices in terms of well we can work out what's important and and, and I think everybody does a bit of cyber security you know um, these days with Everyone who has kids and teenagers, you know, with social media and all that, we teach people don't take a friend request from someone you don't know in real life, Um, you know, verify people's identity, don't share information or photos or anything, videos with people you don't really know in real life. So they're all really zero trust principles, you know, Just, just be sure that who you're dealing with and who you're sharing information with is who you think they are. So it is really already out there. So when you, when you look at how Zero Trust, are, and because it's a principle, set of principles and a framework, it's not any technical thing. It's not like a Microsoft exam that you have to go and learn, you know. So that's why I love it, because it's so flexible.
0: So does it proceed on the assumption that potentially everyone is a cyber criminal, whether they are an employee of the organisation or external to the organisation. Um, not, part? yeah, no, not, not, not so much. No, so I've heard a lot of people
1: talk about the actual term zero trust. People say, "Oh, what is it? What do you mean? You don't trust me?" But it's not like we don't trust you, and we never will. It's more we will trust you to a certain level once we've established you are who you say you are. You know, um, and I guess that's the big transition. So, in terms of assumed breach and other principles and zero trust. In the old days, there was like the castle and moat where you'd have your firewalls and you'd have your network and you'd plug into the blue cable and everything you get to was through that. And you know now with people, especially with COVID, people work from home. There is no blue cable anymore. You know people connect over the internet. People are everywhere. The the, the network as it was doesn't really exist anymore. So you've got to you've got to revert back to more progressive and smarter ways to protect your assets like identity and uh, and verification, authentication, you know that kind of stuff.
0: So so is it is it um is it fair to say that if one were in the zero trust industry uh, covid has actually been pretty good because it's it's pretty good for the industry for the uptake of zero trust because people are now working remotely and so therefore it's 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 even more important than it was before in the pre-covid era when we were when we were all working in the office yeah. and, you know i can see you you're over there and you know if you're yeah.
1: I'm, yeah. I think, yeah, I think it has. I think the other good thing about it is that it's made organizations sort of have a look at their whole security model and how they do business. And, you know, there's all, all the talk about the great resignation and, and companies are uh, discouraged from asking people to go back into the office four or five days a week. So clearly the distributed working model is here to stay. So even in that context, it's, it's you know, companies have gone along and it's no longer just a stopgap. Once COVID's over, we can revert back to the way we used to do it. Now, companies are having to look at their operating model going forward into the you know foreseeable future. So, I think in that in that context, it's been really good actually for companies without them realizing it themselves that it's forced them to have a look at how they operate and how they secure their assets.
0: Right. So, so how big a vulnerability is working from home? Is it a is it a huge risk for ones of a better word? Um, for uh, yeah. Well.
1: The, you know, the idea of actually having people working from home in and of itself isn't a risk. It's about how, you know, there's this, there's multiple ways. And again, with Zero Trust, you can look at ways of protecting things at source or you can protect in transit or you can protect that at endpoint, you know. So you can have your endpoint controls uh, on the device that people take home and use from home, which will give you a certain level of protection in, in some contexts. But it's more about... Um, you know, matching your, the importance of your assets to the security controls. So you don't put, you know, the finance reports or the HR um, salary spreadsheet in a system that has basically no security and faces the internet and all that stuff. You know, you you put that stuff in, um, uh, in an environment that's, that's really secure, you know, so that it's, there's multiple ways to approach it. And then you can use identity aware network controls. There's all, all sorts of ways to protect
0: stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. So if you look across the broad landscape of Australian enterprises, because I was listening to one of your presentations and I um, I remember you saying that um, probably chances are that you're already doing a certain yeah. zero trust already, although it might not be yep. called that. Um, yeah, that's right. How how what percentage of Australian enterprises adopt a zero trust framework, if that's the correct label to use or strategy?
1: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think according to Gartner and Forrester, Australia and the APAC region in general is quite good on the adoption of zero trust strategies and 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 follows the policies quite well. Um, in terms of you know how many companies go from following it without really knowing it to actually funding projects and and having a, a zero trust strategy i'm not 100 percent sure but it's definitely a growing um a growing approach because like i said it is so flexible and once people understand sort of what you can use it for it, it definitely gets traction
0: okay okay and and so if you are an australian enterprise if you are listening to this podcast and you're curious about zero strategy What would you say are the kind of key um, USPs? Like why is it important for an organization to adopt zero strategy? And if, if you don't, what are the alternatives? Well, the
1: alternatives are to continue sort of, you know, Zero Trust has been around for a while now, probably about 10 or 12 years, um, and it has evolved and it has, you know, it's had, it's it slowly gained, gained traction and and the precursor to that, it was basically born out of the need to, to take a new approach to the way assets were secured and, you know, the old the old way was, like I said, the blue cable, the network, the, the castle and mode and, you know, uh, a physical data centre full of servers and, and all that you know, a big database cluster or whatever, but that doesn't exist anymore with SAS and containers and cloud and all of that. So um, what I would advise anyone to do is, to, and, and coming back to the point I made earlier about good decisions, any organisation should have a full registry of its key company assets. And against that registry, it should have its security controls captured because if you don't know what your assets are and you don't know how they're secured, then you really are open to attack and not just open to attack, you're open to an attack that you don't know about. Um, you know, people used to sit inside networks for weeks or months before they did anything. Now they're in and out in a couple of hours, you know. And, and for organizations that don't have that asset register and that control list and, and the zero trust approach, they can have stuff taken or, or be compromised and not even know about it for weeks
0: or months after. So it's, it's uh, essential in terms of early detection. Like, if there is a breach, you discover it super quick, and then you can um, uh, yeah, that that that's right, yeah, assets, yeah, yeah, exactly, plus controls equals outcomes, a wise man once said, that's right.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Under list your assets and yeah, you can then design your controls and control your outcomes. Yeah, exactly.
0: We we actually, uh, we have an assets uh, registry. It's a uh, latitude IT, which I only just discovered. Um, I think it might even be a new concept. Uh, but that's yeah. good. It's good to know that we're on the right track towards uh, zero trust. So is zero trust um something that any organization can adopt you know regardless of how big you are like we're just a small organization small uh, IT recruitment firm
1: yeah you, uh, you know with? I w- I would never I would never say that you can't because it's 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 all about um, context you know it's definitely as a, because it's a set of principles like there's not there's not a page in the zero trust manual that says you have to go and spend half a million dollars on a on a network control system or an identity platform or anything else you know it's about if you've got five people working in your organisation, you can make smart decisions. Like, you know, where do we store our information? What, head do we do? We have encryption on any any data storage um, repositories? Do we do we have Teams or some other sharing platform where we where we let other people see our company information? Or you know, all that, those things can be like for a one person or a five person operation to make those smarter choices and protect what's important. Because every business, no matter what size it is, has uh, information that, that are, uh, that's an asset that's unique to that business.
0: Understood, understood. So are there any, um, we've talked a lot about the pros, would you say there are any cons or if one decides to go down the zero trust road, would there be any challenges or difficulties or complexities?
1: Yeah, so I think yeah, it's not uh, the bigger the organisation and, and the more legacy approach you come from, it's obviously a bigger it's a bigger piece of work to do. There's certainly challenges. There's there's boring bits. You know, you talk to people about doing an asset audit and understanding all their assets, their eyes roll back in their head and and they you know they zone out. Put the Homer glasses on and pretend. And they're listening, but they're asleep behind the glasses. So, uh, you know, there's definitely some boring bits and uh, and some challenges as well. Like if you said to a company that had five thousand people working there, you know, what's all your authentication protocols? How do you handle identity? You know, all those things. There's a lot of work in that sometimes to, to understand their own environment and. That's been, you know, a problem in IT and the outsourcing model and all sorts of models where customers go, oh, do we want to understand it or do we just want to pay someone else to try and make it work, you know? And, and that, that, that's often
0: happened in the past as well. That's, that's how consulting companies make their money, right? Like you just you <laughs> that's it. trade
1: secret. <laughs> and outsource all the boring yeah. bits. Yeah, I, exactly. I, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, uh, I heard another wise man describe it as like a Marvel film um that's it exactly <laughs> explosions so the, and filler and explosions yeah so the sooner you start uh the better right because if you if you get to like a massive enterprise uh level and you haven't really started and then you've got to do all this retrospectively that's when it becomes like um almost yeah. overwhelming i guess
1: I think, yeah, I think that that, that's it. And it's the way, it's an approach, like as you onboard a new application, it's just sort of due diligence around all the... the be boring bits like, you know, who's going to use it? Does it need AD groups? Has it got service accounts? What identities have what access? Just documenting all of that. And then eventually you build a, you know, a, a knowledge base about all of your assets and, and you can go from there. But if you're trying to drop it into a mature convoluted environment, you can still make progress reasonably quickly by just identifying one, two, ten 10 key assets or key applications and, and applying the principles to that. And then, you know, because anything that's important to you, you can pretty much be sure that other people outside your organisation know it's important information as well. So, you know, there's no secrets anymore. If you've got databases of credit cards or, or key information, you know, it, it's not it's certainly not secret to just inside your organisation. So it's industrial.
0: Mm. So, so, Andrew, if you want to do this... Do you have to buy an expensive piece of kit, or can it be done in a very simple fashion, as long as you're prepared to do, as you mentioned earlier, all the boring bits?
1: Yeah, it can be done in a in a boring fashion. Like you know, I've seen projects done quite cheap, and the main thing is to leverage all the investments you've already made. Like you know, there's. in the NIST model, there's lots of pillars. One of the pillars is identity, for example, and one of the pillars is networking, and then there's devices. So if you happen to be in an organization that's recently made an investment in your identity controls or your active directory or your some form of network or identity-aware network controls, that's where you start. You know, Identity is the key, but information are the assets and network is, is one of the best control points. So you don't have to sort of... Don't focus on the gaps, leverage your strengths and build from there and make progress because the worst thing with zero trust that people do I think is uh, paralysis by analysis, you know, thinking that they have to know everything before they start, but, but it, it, it needs to snowball otherwise people outside of security who need to continually fund it over the medium to longer term will certainly lose interest. Okay.
0: Okay, no, I understand. Or, or just get overwhelmed by, by all the things that they have.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Easy You've got to, to keep do. it keep it simple and keep it contained and, and show progress and then expand it out, you know. So there's, there's uh, you know, the other good thing about it is you can look down, you can take a top-down or a bottom-up view. So you can put in enterprise-wide control platforms like a good Active Directory or a good identity approach or a good networking solution, which is an enterprise one. And then you can just add how you protect assets with that enterprise approach as you go along and tick them off. Uh, or you can look at it from the top down where if you've got some application that's key to your business, you can go, well, who uses this application? Is it SQL database? Is it whatever? How do we protect that? What's best practice? You know, so you can, you can go at it from either direction and, and meet in the middle, which is usually the best outcome.
0: Okay. So you, you, you mentioned um, identity as being a great place to start. Um, yeah so in other words um an organization that has a strong identity platform is 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 a good sort of axiomatic point of departure it's a good place to start what can you go down the rubber hole a little bit on that
1: yeah so the main thing the main point for me around identities is I do not I, I don't really like the term users anymore because it implies a level of trust and comfort that's not Safe um, from a security point of view, and so I think of them as identities. Uh, and the other main point there is, it's not just humans. You've got to be very aware of your non-human identities as well. So things like service accounts. If you use IoT devices, if you use bots, if you use um, if you use AWS, for example, and you have uh, servers that assume other roles to do a workflow to carry, you know, and they assume an identity to complete a task. Those non-human identities, and then there's a bunch of human different types as well. So, you know, for us, I, I've documented all those as as a strategy. You know, the different user types and non-human and non-human types. So, that's a key to me for identity. All all of the um, identity types, and and then organisational roles as well.
0: Okay, okay. So that's 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 really quite complex. What what? Um, okay. So instead of the term users, you prefer the term identities. Yeah. So, identity is one of the kind of greatest um, vulnerabilities, isn't it? Like, if you sort of do a, um, a post mortem on a lot of these major cyber mm. incidents, uh, identity is sort of ground zero for these, these, yep. um, these issues, isn't
1: it? Yeah, yeah, there is. There's a growing, a growing. Well, I don't know if "concerns" the right word, but there's a growing awareness of the need to focus on. Attacks that originate from inside, not just external threats, but also compromised credentials, um, sold credentials, stolen credentials. Um, there's lots of there's lots of um, concern there in the space of someone who you've provisioned in good faith. Those credentials now become a threat against the organisation. So,
0: okay, not necessarily used by that person, but by someone else or someone that's right. You've somehow got access. Yep identity theft or anything like that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yep, yep, yep.
0: I I um I was quite uh taken aback when I first uh, heard clients talking about that. They were like, well, this one client in particular who have a lot of um data scientists, you know, super smart people. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and they were saying, well, look, you know, what happens if you have like a disgruntled um data scientist, you know, these are very smart people if they are yeah, extremely annoyed. They can, they can, if they are so inclined, they can wreak havoc. Uh, and I suppose yeah. I never really thought about that. I, I'd i always thought of uh, cybersecurity as being protecting the inside from without, not protecting the inside mm. from without, and also from within. So you know, yeah. that was quite a sort of a, a mental flip for me. But I guess that's the whole yeah, idea sure. behind zero trust. You know, anyone is capable of anything, right?
1: Well, yeah, that's that's the assumed breach, and that's where you sort of look at anomalous behaviour, and you build trend analysis around what an identity typically does and your organisational role. So, if you've got someone who works in, say, in the warehouse, for example, and then all of a sudden their username is trying to access financial records or joint venture information, then that's anomalous behaviour, and you can you know you can spot that. So that's where the roles come in and that trend analysis as well.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I was listening to some of your material and you were talking about um, how uh, email can actually be an issue for information sharing. and that's uh, Yeah, that's right. What, what's the alternative? So if you're adopting a zero trust policy uh, and you implement it comprehensively, how do you then go about sharing information with your colleagues, cohorts, etc.?
1: well you can you know it depends like if it's internal stuff you can look at uh, things like sharepoint you know to to share it and you can put granular permissions against each of the, uh, each of the bits of information that you're sharing in that site as well uh, if you're sharing externally, you have to be careful. If you set up a Teams environment, for example, or Zoom, and you stick a file in the in in the team or the Zoom, and you know, if you're if you're on a call with multiple people, you have to be, you know, if there's ten identities that you've shared it with, you have to be comfortable that all ten of those are legit and. The, you know, there's no nefarious acts, actors involved in any of those identities as well. So it's just making sure that as I go back to the original point that you know who you're dealing with and you can trust them that there's some level of, you know, um, agreement or, or collaboration that's secure as well.
0: Okay. And, and um, in terms of... Um the the uh the resistance that there is within organizations uh you you talk mm-hmm. a lot in your in in your in your presentation about um not positioning it as a cyber security initiative but yeah it's a, a company protection initiative you know so it's not a yeah yeah that's IT right it thing it's an operational risk thing yeah. um that that that's that, right. that's, that's like, how do you how do you find that? Like in 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 the Australian cybersecurity industry, how evolved have enterprise become in enterprises become in their thinking about these things? Are they still, you mentioned earlier about, you know, IT being the, you know, that table mm. over there and business being that table over there? And I remember when I got into recruitment, cybersecurity wasn't called cybersecurity, it was called information security. And these yeah, are, yeah. you know, the the, the 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 Nigel No Friends people down in the back <laughs> corner of the tech department. How has that uh, developed and evolved in your experience?
1: Uh, Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's been a bit of a meeting in the middle, really, like we talked before about that, you know, and in one of my presentations, I talk about that security people need to understand and speak the language of the business, rather than just go in and talk a bunch of, you know, security jibber jabber about zero trust and all the terms and buzzwords. But I think it's also come back the other way. I think these days, especially newer generation and younger uh, CXO level executives and business leaders are much more aware about the need to build cybersecurity controls and awareness into how they operate their businesses as well, how they lead business divisions and all that stuff. So there's definitely been a shift on both sides. But I think that, like I said, business people are employed to, to develop and, and promote and grow the business. So the security team and the IT team are just like the HR team and the finance team they're part of the business whose goal is to to help the business grow so you know we as security people need to to make the effort to speak the business
0: language are we at a stage now where cybersecurity is a part of every commercial decision within large australian enterprises
1: I don't think we're there yet, but I think that we will be in the next couple of years purely by necessity. You know, uh, like I said before, years ago, there was hackers who were just roaming around trying to steal a bunch of stuff and hope to get something good, you know, when it started or people who were doing it to see if they could and all that. But now we're talking about basically professional operations whose actual job it is to sit somewhere for hours and try and get stuff or, or Break into places and you know launch ransomware attacks. There's a, you know it's a, there's a lot of money in ransomware, so people do it as a as a professional business model now. So and also like I said before, there's no uh, there's no secrets. So people find out information. They find out leverage and squeeze points and risks and holes. And, and they build a bank of knowledge about different companies and organisations and, and and it's just very, very sophisticated now. So, you know, uh, I think that will lead within the next couple of years to businesses really having to understand that this is, you know, they're facing an industrial level threat basically that, that everyone, and it's not a matter of will they come after us, they, everyone will be, they'll knock on everyone's door. It's just a matter of, you know, whether they can get in.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, but it's still seen as sort of like a technical thing, isn't it? Like technical risk rather than like it doesn't it very rarely sits under the chief risk officer, does it? It's more of a uh, technical. yeah, yeah. When it really, yeah. Be, am I right? I don't know. I could
1: be wrong. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, no, you're right. There is. And there's a few views on it. Like if you look at the Forrester model, they talk about risk, you know, and they've got some brilliant calculations about how zero trust projects can reduce a risk score for every $1,000 spent. You know, it'll, it'll nudge your risk needle in a certain way. Uh, for some organizations, their leadership team doesn't think in that dry risk they understand business risk obviously but the cyber risk isn't so much something that resonates so they want to achieve you know maybe a better audit score or or not get hacked or, or whatever else so the motivations are slightly different so I think that you know you have to be careful positioning it as a risk thing because it won't resonate with every business it's not always about you know risk is obviously key and that's you know um, that's what you're looking for. It's the, it's the old uh, joke about the two guys in the forest that see the tiger and one's putting his tennis shoes on. And the first guy says, what are you putting them on for? You won't be able to outrun the tiger. And he says, I don't need to outrun the tiger. I just need to outrun you. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that's what we're all in the forest and the hackers of the tiger. So, yeah, we're all trying to uh, just be fast enough to, to not be the one that gets caned.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. A, uh, a client of mine the other day was talking about it as when, you know, when he got involved in the industry, um, the cybersecurity industry was a little bit like being on a beach where, you know, you're lying on, the, on your towel and you've got your, your car keys and your wallet next to you. And every now and <laughs> then someone tries to grab them. You know, it was very opportunistic and not particularly sophisticated. And now it's changed a lot. And as you said, it's like a yeah. huge industry. There are, yeah. there are specialist companies who, who um find their vulnerabilities, they then sell those to the uh, to the, yep. the actor, and then there's another company that provides the ransomware, and it's you know, just as yep. there is there is you and I, we're having this conversation now, there's probably like an evil, an evil dude and exactly. a, an evil, an evil zero trust architect having <laughs> a podcast on the dark on web. On the dark web. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. So um <laughs> Let's let's. I think that's a pretty good segue into into something I know that you're also passionate about, which is aligning uh, business uh, strategy to security strategy. Yeah, yeah, Um,
1: yeah. So I think one of my rules of thumb is that, you know, and again, there's a misconception about security. It's not security is not the big red stop sign that, you know, computer says, no, security should be a way, to, it should be, I talk about transparent security. So users go about their daily lives and do all the stuff they need to do. And they don't even know that they're running through security controls and gates and stuff because it's it's transparent to them, you know, from a, from a leadership and a business point of view, you know, you're, you're applying a level of protection. Um, but from the user's point of view, they're, they're none the wiser, which to me, that's the solution. That's, that's how it should run. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. So what what's the so how do you get to that point though? Like what are the what are the challenges? How do you get to that point? Cuz that that sounds it sounds really simple the way you describe it. Mm. Um but how many organizations actually run that way and if they don't why don't they? And how how do they get from where they are now to to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I think there's a number of reasons, you know, it's like the old uh ERP days where you'd you'd buy one of the big ERP uh, vendors products and you would drop it in and go well you know this is costing us millions so do we change our business processes to meet the product or do we customise the product to meet our processes and they end up somewhere in the middle and in hell, basically, nine times out of ten. So, um, But I think that there's also a residual um, reluctance to, to do the same thing for security. It's like, well, you know, we're heavily invested in this product. The security is not great, so we have to do it this way. It makes it slower and more risky and less less safe. But, you know, we bought this thing and we've got to use it. Um, that'll That'll phase out now over, you know, every product that comes out now from the vendors and more and more Uh, Stuff hits the market every month and it all has a security flavor. Like I said before about the merging, there is no IT and security separate anymore. It's all, everything's a security product. When you look at everything Microsoft brings out, there's a massive security uh, flavor to it, a feel to it, a reporting structure built into everything, telemetry about your security position. Um, every vendor understands, and, and through natural attrition of products and applications, companies will get more secure by osmosis, almost. But, um, but in terms of legacy systems, like I touched on before, some companies don't feel that they need cybersecurity to be front and centre. They feel that they're what they do for for yeah their mission statement or their uh, revenue streams come from areas that aren't typically associated with the need for cybersecurity, you know, but that doesn't hold up anymore. We've seen ransomware attacks on meat processing factories around the world. Um, They're probably someone who typically thought, well, you know, we run abattoirs, what do we care about cybersecurity? I'm not saying they did think that obviously, but you know what I mean? There are are companies that, and, and that's who they stand out like beacons on the hill, you know, because that's who gets hacked and ransomware attacks.
0: Right, right. But what's the? Why is that? So I mean, let's imagine you're a cyber criminal. Why would you want to target a company like that just because you can? Is it is it the is it the is it just like a, a mayhem objective, or is there something more strategic going on?
1: Oh no, it's all. I, I think the days of you know the days of the old eighties and nineties movies where the teenager hacked the Pentagon and then bragged to his mates. I think those days are long gone. I don't okay. think many people do it for that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's all about money now. Like I said, you know, and and they fully understand the the hackers and and the ransomware gangs um, fully understand who's doing cyber security training. Like some organisations send out phishing attacks internally. They test their employees. They do cyber awareness training, uh, and then other other like I said, other organisations aren't that mature in that space. So their their workers. You know aren't as aware of what a phishing email looks like or where a ransomware attack can can come from and 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 they're they're easy pickings really for the for the hackers because obviously with the sophistication the attacks look legit now you know it's very hard to pick a lot of them especially if you haven't had any cyber training so you know that's uh that, that that's a big growth area i think in the in the cyber industry is that training and that awareness that companies who never thought they needed it actually need to start realizing they do
0: right right. So if if you're listening to this and you think, geez, uh, I'm not sure how aligned our business and security strategies are, how do you, like, what would your advice be? So if you, if you were sort of going into an organization to consult, how would you set about uh, ensuring that business and security strategies align? Like, where do you start and what are the kind of quick wins that you can that you can have. Uh, like, what do you yeah, back? well... Do you, do you mould security to business or do you mould business to security or how does it work?
1: Well, I, I would typically start by stepping outside the security and IT area altogether and understand the business. You know, like I said before, the business exists to, to do a certain thing or to generate revenue a certain way and, and that's going to be different for every business. So unless you understand how the business operates, what the business wants to achieve, what the goals are, You know, you can't really apply proper security or, or strategy to that. So, that would be the first thing is to understand the business. Uh, and I think that's key and that's that's where that alignment comes in. You, know, you understand the business and you go, right, well, I know this part of the business, they, their outcomes are A, B and C. And, and you know, that means they have got 30 people doing this type of work in shifts or with these computers or from home or wherever. And then you start to understand, right, well, now I can see things, I can see risk, I can see issues, I can see potential um uh, penetration points, and then you can start to apply security controls to, the, to that operating model of how the
0: business operates. So um, I know that one of the other really passionate things for you is uh, diversity in security. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, like we touched on before with the musicians coming into security, I think that Diversity is is really important and, um, you know, not just diversity in terms of, you know, get someone from a different group to be part of the team that thinks like us and acts like us and does the same things as us. You know, that's not true diversity. I mean, bringing people with a different background and a different story to tell and, uh, you know, Women returning to the workforce with kids at home, uh, people who haven't been in cybersecurity, people who come from different areas, people multicultural backgrounds, all sorts of different, you know, sexual orientations, all through diversity because everyone has different perceptions of things and different perspective to bring. And that's where, you know, if you've got eight people saying the same thing, you're not going to get a very creative strategy you know but if you've got people with different perspective who, who throw things in that's when you get the best outcomes I, I think so i think that you know like i said one of the problems with cyber security is that people are sort of intimidated about it and even i was even with years in, in security in general about you know like oh, i haven't done incident response i haven't done any red team stuff i haven't done any penetration testing you know well, how am i going to go in security but I think you've got to, like Clint Eastwood said, you've got to know your limitations, but you've also got to know your strengths. You know, that's the important other side to that coin that people forget. You know, people have, the, you know, we all have a bit of imposter syndrome and we all have, you know, introspective moments where we, we focus on the, the shortcomings and stuff. But I think you've got to carry around your strengths as well and say, well, this is what I can add. To the mix, and you know, and, and if you if you stop there, and then I start there and finish over here, then we'll cover a broader range between the two of us. So, you know, we've got to fit together with people, and that's where that diversity comes in, because you can make a bigger, a bigger jigsaw puzzle if all the pieces look a bit different. You know,
0: absolutely, absolutely. So, have you? Can you perhaps give us some examples of having seen that in action? I mean, you've been in. How long have you been in cybersecurity? uh i've been in cyber for about five years now yeah in it
1: and about it for about 20 something 25 maybe i'm not sure no. i don't want to give away my age don't want yeah. too many secrets <laughs> uh yeah well luckily for me i see it every day in terms of diversity because my wife is a software developer and she talks at various events and she does some events where she encourages university uh female university students who are studying technology to get into consider a career in technology and uh, she also talks about uh, retention of female staff that's an issue for people and getting females back to the workforce after they've had children as well and and particularly in cyber security that's an issue so yeah yeah so and I think that like as well when you're doing strategy and you're working in teams and collaborating I think it's sort of The people who go out of their way to dig up that different perspective are the ones who come up with the best outcomes, you know. Sometimes the person sitting across the table in a meeting room with eight people in it and the one who doesn't really talk that much, if you talk to them after the meeting, they've got great ideas. It's just because they feel they're not strong enough to speak up or for a million different reasons they haven't felt, you know – Prepared to share, but but you don't rule them out because they didn't speak at a meeting. You you still pick their brain and you you, you know and and you can incorporate their perspective into the overall approach. That's what I think is the way to do it. Anyway,
0: absolutely. Um, this reminds me of a Lithuanian proverb I heard when I was in Lithuania. Funnily enough, uh, that always stuck with me. And the proverb is, um, the quietest pig digs the deepest hole. <laughs> I it always resonated with me.
1: Um, That's a good one. I'll have to I, use that. I'm a that. very
0: noisy pig, so I don't think my holes can be too deep. A gem, I need to work on that. So you, you've, worked, yeah. you've worked all over the place, Andrew. You, yeah. You've lived and worked abroad. Um, yeah. You, you've, you've mentioned uh, in, your, in your work that you've worked both on the client side and on the consulting side, the vendor side. Yeah. Um, yeah. You've probably seen so many companies – come at this topic from so many different angles Mm. um what has been what is the what is like when you look at all of these different people that you've worked with these different organizations that you've worked with yeah um what what are the kind of key factors for success in um in in achieving uh uh, you know in protecting uh, an organization its assets its information its infrastructure and so forth like what are what are the things that you've seen work really well, and 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 what doesn't really work too well? You know, you you've 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 been there, you've done that. You've got the t-shirt.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose if you mean in terms of the best collaborative approach between vendors and companies uh, to to protect the the company themselves, um, I think a common mistake a lot of companies make when they deal with vendors is they give them a shopping list and then they just the vendor will fill the trolley and then once it's all said and done, if it works or doesn't work, they've fulfilled what the ask was. So I think that the companies that I've seen be successful are the ones who ask for a solution and and talk about some of the topics we've covered about this is how we operate, this is what's important to us, this is what we want to achieve, how can you help us achieve these specific goals? And then through that collaboration, you're both set up to succeed. If you go to a vendor and say, give us a firewall, and they give you a firewall and you don't configure it properly, you might as well have a chocolate teapot there. You know, it's, uh, it's not going to do you any good. So it's yeah. got to be, a, it's gotta be a, collaborative, a collaborative approach in the context of specific goals and outcomes.
0: Yeah. So is, do you find that people just tend to get a bit lazy when they engage like a consultancy? They're just like, oh, look, it's, it's up. we're going to put it in the too hard basket. We're just going to pay someone mm. else to handle it for us. Is that the problem? They don't, they, don't yeah. they relinquish responsibility. It is It is a problem as well, but I think that the,
1: the mistake there is like you could correctly say that, look, this is in our area of expertise and this consultancy firm has people that are uh, uh, that do have extensive expertise in the area of cybersecurity, for example, and that is probably true. But what the vendor will never have is the same passion for the business that you have, either as an employee or as an owner or a manager or a leader or whatever. So, You know, a vendor will come in and say this, you know, this widget or this gadget works great to do these things and you go, oh, okay, fine, but they won't have the context of how that benefits your organisation and they will never sort of have as much passion for achieving success for the organisation as you will because... A, they don't work for the organisation, and B, they're fulfilling a role as a vendor and giving you the solutions that you're asking for. So, I think that that's that's the mistake. Is to and again, we come back to, you know, leveraging what your assets are and your passion for your organisation or your, you know, desire to succeed is is one of those assets that you need to leverage. So, don't just outsource everything to someone assuming that they know more than you. Take your, you know, your understanding of what you want to get out of it into the, to the, the strategy in the meeting and, and then ask them to complement that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I once asked, uh, a, a client of mine who works in the consulting industry, what the, what the definition of successful consulting is. And he said, it's to not be afraid to tell your client that their baby is ugly. Um, <laughs> what do you think of that? Yeah.
1: I think that's that's good. I think it's a good honest approach. We don't see enough of it, but yeah, yeah, I think that that's right. And also say, and and you know, um, not be afraid to say that's not an area we can help with. But uh, you know, I, I can help you to I can help you to screen other vendors or whatever. Not, you know, there's nothing worse than a vendor that comes in and goes, oh, we can do that and we can do this and we can do the other and we can do everything for you, and then you end up with six half-baked ideas that are all, you know. So yeah, it's the courage. It's the courage to say no. We
0: can't help you with that, but we can do a good job of this. Okay. No, I, 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 I know exactly what you mean. I've had a little bit of experience, personal experience in this, in this area. So we've we've talked uh, a lot tonight. Would you believe that it's almost been uh, an hour since we, we have you happened. smashed me? It's <laughs> like I, a job interview. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Listen, no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's um, it, exactly. I thought this was going to be all soft and cuddly. Nah, well, I'm a very <laughs> soft and cuddly man. We're just, you know, you're in Brisbane. I'm down here in Sydney. Uh, one of these know, days, okay. hopefully we can do one of these in person. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. in San Francisco, as my backdrop would suggest. I'm actually oh, yeah. but, um, um what, what would is there anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, have we missed anything? Would you like to go down the rabbit hole in other in any other areas before we wrap things up?
1: No, I think that you know the only thing I would say is just you know uh, when you're whether you're a person trying to get into cybersecurity or an organisation that's looking to improve their security posture or um, you know an architect who's looking to learn more about zero trust or whatever. Just my advice to everybody is to you know, do your research, understand what you want to achieve, and then don't be afraid to be honest and put yourself out there and just say, you know, this is what we want to do. And, you know, uh, uh, if you don't have a go, you, you can't ever know, you know. So that's what I would say is just, just put yourself out there and take a chance, be honest, do your homework, and, and yeah, success will follow, I think.
0: Put yourself put yourself out there. That is a, a very great piece of advice. Um, and pardon yeah. the one, be vulnerable. Right.
1: Yes, sure. most definitely.
0: Yeah. So, and
1: it's very hard to put yourself out there, and especially you know nobody likes having a solution challenge, but you need to like, and and one of the differences between an engineering and architecture is like I put stuff out there and people kick it like it's a piñata, but you have to cop that and, uh, and go right. Well, at the end of the day, when I tweak it, it's going to be better than it was. So yeah, you've got to put yourself out there and wear your wear your bruises.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's like. Uh, any kind of art, it should always provoke a reaction, whether it's a positive or a negative one. As long as it yep. gets, as long as it provokes a reaction, then you've achieved your goal. Yeah, so, for sure. Andrew, how do people, how do people, I'm really hoping that as a result of this podcast, it opens up a floodgate and you're, you're deluged with inquiries <laughs> about zero trust. How do people, how do people get hold of you?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'm on LinkedIn. Your so, your yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. I'll just read out my phone number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and always happy to have a chat. I, like I said, I'm very passionate about Zero Trust and I'm usually uh, around and available for a, for a chat on anything, I, I'm sort of approachable, I'm honest and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have a chat about whatever people want to talk about.
0: Able by name, able by nature.
1: That's it. And uh, yeah, and ready, ready to help. We're waiting for your call. <laughs> awesome. Awesome.
0: Andrew, listen, Cheers. it's been it's been awesome having you on. I could I could talk with you all night. I sense that we have uh, many more uh, episodes to to come. I'm so pleased that you agreed to be episode one. No problem, my pleasure of the Cyber People Thank Podcast. You. Um, you go and have a relaxing evening. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. I really appreciate yep. it. And um, no worries. We hope to see you here again very soon.
1: Cheers. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank
0: you very much, Andrew. Take care. Have a wonderful evening. Bye-bye. You too.
1: Bye-bye.